I have always perceived as um, the religion of the Abrahamism to have emerged out of uh, the political wills. There was not much of a spirituality related to the idea. The spirituality was always an added factor. And of all, Islam was definitely a faith which actually, in my opinion, didn't exist till 7th of the century. And it started, though the idea was being cooked up since 4th century, but it emerged into a full-fledged religion. And it was Abbasids who formulated it in a very right and appropriate, not right, in an appropriate way, how the Islam needs to be spread or, you know, the kind of, the, you submit to someone. This was brought out by Abbasids, in my opinion, because Abbasids had actually burned down all the literature of uh, the Umayyads as well. We have the records for it. And um, uh, Abbasids were the one who were just uh, uh, manufacturing hadiths, like how weapons are being manufactured during the war. More the war, the more the hadiths were produced. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and at the same time, this even this story of uh, this uh, uh, bin Qasim of the Sindh also comes from there. It was commissioned to, uh, uh, the, for the first time we hear of Ben Qasim in 895 AD, or rather about the story of the sin, which is 180 years uh, after the alleged strike by the 17-year-old juvenile boy. Letting people know about the subject, uh, which we are going to discuss about. So uh, I will just do a bit of revision to what we discussed last time and how actually the modules are uh, have been framed into. So uh, the idea about the knowing the Islam and how it originated came to my mind from the fact that we all see that there are a lot of things happening around. And somehow, especially in the subcontinent, the idea is basically being to talk about Muhammad, to talk about the humiliation of Islam. But uh, I do believe that we never went to the core root of it to understand that why exactly the problem lies. Because uh, even the literature, what we are referring to uh, criticize Islam or, or, you know, uh, set a historical narrative about it, that itself is not a true one, right? Because we talk uh, about Quran and then say that, you know, Muhammad came and destroyed all the idols. But you know, this is not a historical incident. This is just a cooked up story. Uh, that is what the primary sources say. And at the same time, what happens is that uh, uh, when we, uh, I, perhaps I spoke last time that, uh, you know, in fact, Muhammad bin Qasim never uh, came to India. That story was also fabricated one. And the whole thing got, got glorified largely through Chachanama uh, in the 13th century. So 500 years after down the line, someone looks to speak about someone called bin Qasim, a 17-year-old guy who defeated the mighty sin. So these all stories were cooked up. And this all were happening during the Abbasid period. So this lot around and all those quests led me to really rethink about uh, how exactly Islam, Islam is, how it has been performing, what have been the changes, right? So, so those things intrigued me to look into. Last time we discussed a lot about uh, what exactly are the red flags of the Islam, like uh, what really makes person think that no, we need to rethink about Islam. And I always use a term called SIN, that is SIN, which is standard Islamic narrative, uh, which we get to know that, you know, Muhammad was born in this and this year, and then, uh, you know, he goes to Mount Hira and the revelations come, and then from Makkah, he goes to Medina, Medina, he comes to. So this is a standard narrative which we have been fed based on 
certain literature that is uh, uh, quran and the hadith but we never inquired when those literature were written right because it's very important to understand that if a literature is written after 200 years from the demise of a man say muhammad in this case then it's a red flag that what happened for 200 years why you didn't took a heat to write about him so those things led me to we look into it and i have proposed a new concept with a new idea of old islamic narrative and i call it ait which uh, was used popularly in india for uh, aryan invasion theory and my ait is alternative islamic theory that what exactly the theory of islam or how it really originated like uh, supposed to be so uh, I, i will just start sharing my screen because i have uh, collated few of the slides uh, that will uh, lead people to understand the things more holistically this is what i am calling it AI, this is ait2 because this is the second talk of the session and uh, previously we spoke about uh, how uh, the earlier qiblas were facing towards petra and not makkah and we looked at how we need to question hadith and why question arises that they are not authentic and there are many things which we discussed last time so i will not go much into detail because there's lot to discuss and i don't know how much time we will have today so to begin with i need to pass on few ideas about how actually theologies were working in the middle east and just to give a perspective i i came to know that telegiri ji is also going to give a talk where he will talk about the srajan war and battle of the 10 kings and the context of rigveda and actually it was that battle and further one more battle happened which led to a lot of migration out of india uh, the people migrated outside and then avestan text was also written so avestan text was very much inspired by uh, the indian text rigveda and they actually were the the people who were the indians they migrated outside and then a new faith was created uh, which was zoroastrianism right so the zoroastrianism was largely based on the idea which was grabbed from the indic ideas and actually the fight which happened in the past was also on the theological base that you know, there is a, coll- a collision of idea this is not right and all those kind of thing and when the zoroastrianism happened and many people would believe that uh, you know it's a straight forward a uh, monotheistic religion and there's nothing uh, about you or they didn't believe in cyclic time and all those kind of thing but actually the zoroastrians also did had a concept of yuga where they had you know the shortened it out to around 12000 years in the case of 3000 3000 well like that and gradually from further it came down to it was first monoism then monotheism and then for the, from monotheism we got the emergence of the abrahamic ideas and from abrahamic idea we had a uh, we got gavaism to start with right now we are seeing that a lot is happening in israel and palestine right and there's a claim that perhaps uh, palestine are the original people and the israelis are the outsiders but um, this reason was known as a canaan reason long back and those people first adopted the yahwism so yahweh was the god of the and uh, so when a yahwism came they didn't negate the rest of the god they believe that yahwism uh, yahweh is the primary god but they still believe that other gods also exist exist so for a particular house or the first for a particular group of people yahweh is the lead and from yahwism we finally came to the judaism or the jews came into picture 
right where yahweh became the primary god and all other gods were negated and further on the religions kept on popping and uh, where and the, then we saw the idea of christianity emerging and when christianity emerged further there were a lot of fights and brawls among them uh, in terms of that how they perceived jesus as so people were not very clear or rather i would say that they didn't had a very set direction they were always colliding ideas so a uh, few terminology which i wish that people must understand is that what arianism is what is trinitarianism what who were the melkite and who were the chalcedonian people or a definition which was given to the chalcedonian people so all these four definitions what i have put across uh, will actually make us understand that how this christianity or the clash among the christians and uh, the ideas adopted from the jews led to the creation of uh, the faith what we today know as the uh, noah islam um, moving forward i've just uh, put it across so uh, arianism is a christological doctrine which attributed to arius a christian professor in alexandria egypt arian theology holds that jesus christ the son of god in the trinitarianism uh, perhaps i'm sure everyone is aware about it the melkite idea was very much in the line of chalcedonian definition that jesus is perfect both in deity and the humanness so there is a dual nature for the jesus what the perceived right and if you see that uh, uh, the idea of arianism kind of relates very much with uh, what exactly you know is a uh, becomes a primary concept of the islam too of uh, it was all about uh, not seeing jesus as the god that is how it begins with, uh, in islam so uh, this is what uh, 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 so as per the standard islamic narrative the umayyad leaders of the early caliphates were among the families that had originally followed the prophet muhammad this is the narrative which is given to us and if we see so uh, so this these are the various caliphate reasons so under muhammad it is said that it was this was a reason which was occupied then under the under 6 from 632 to 661 this lighter orange or rather the orange patch is what was conquered and the green uh, the yellow one the chrome yellow is where the umayyad caliphate was in play and it said that they were the first uh, family to have got converted to islam so and so what the modern muslims uh, if you ask to any modern muslim they would always say that you know, the political policy should be based on the umayyad role model it is said that it is was so successful that perhaps poverty had been eliminated and not a single individual could be found to accept the zakat so the whole idea was that you know, everything was very wealthy so hence the it's very it becomes very important to know that how umayyads converted to islam so if we really crack down on it then it will really decode the truth of islam or rather how it actually happened so moving forward and so many scholars always have had an opinion that umayyad had converted to islam and it happened with a consensus that they were you know they just readily moved into islam and i have followed the similar approach of the classical narrative and i have mixed it with the primary sources so uh, i have picked the scholarly works uh, which have not uh, actually shied off to show that syro aramic christian background exists in the quran 
the understanding of the mechanics uh, mechanism and the interaction of the judaic religions still you know kind of will give idea that uh, uh, the mixture of those literature was making the quran come into play and there's one organization which i do follow and their works are some uh, really marvelous it's the inara institute for research on the early islamic history and uh, quran they basically do the study on the early islam and the quran and so the quote what you see in the front has been put Uh, has been cited to Christoph Luxenberg, who is actually a research member there. He says that Quran intended itself first to, first of all, to be understood as nothing more than a liturgical book with selected texts from scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, and not at all as a substitute for the scripture themselves. That is an independent scripture. So it means he is making a very bold claim that Quran is combination of the works from the Old and the New Testament. and so uh, so uh, if i look at further assertions of luxenberg so he states that friday prayer he according to him friday prayers come from the repositioning of the christian good friday the uh, sacred symbols uh, at the beginning of number of the surahs have syro aramic church origin so in the beginning of every surah the sacred symbol which are put Are Syro-Aramic church origin. This is a revelation made by Christoph Luxenberg. And what they actually used to be in a Syro-Aramic text, they were actually the kind of the decoding code for the instruction that how the particular class need to be read. So that exactly process was being has been applied into the Quran as well. So in context of Quran, uh, we see that uh, you know, Jews, Christians, and the Sabians are the partners of the people of book. Uh, and uh, the luxenberg also says that uh, the quran speaks to an audience it is always speaking to an audience like when you read a quran you will find it speaking to someone else and someone needs to be uh, a person will get to know quran or understand quran only if he is familiar with torah the hebrew bible the gospel and the talmud so without knowing all this text one cannot really understand the quran so it was a nichord what we call in indian nichord that uh, you take it something out and just squeeze it so this is how actually the quran was formulated and this was something very interesting which i found in general quran contains relatively few uh, spiritual markers that uh, actually can be viewed sharply as unique and new creation so if one who has read the quran one who has read the torah one who has read the old and new testament won't find anything unique in it and uh, the so for example when examining when we examine that uh, the into the book we see that there is an innate hatred for the uh, of the authors of the quran against the samaritans and they almost see them as a touch me not people right this is what actually comes from the uh, the old testament and moreover the list of the judaic uh, prophets in the quran is so pinpoint precise that there can be no doubts at all you know, that uh, it has not copied the things from the old and the new testament and so there's a lot of references about uh, the earlier prophets so uh, now christianity has come into being it's existing and if one try to uh, recall that how christianity was unfolding lot of uh, confrontation was among the people uh, there were a lot of debates there were a lot of school of thoughts which were emerging with a different thoughts and every school of thought had certain idea about Jesus Christ. So, 
this image what you see has been uh, this is uh, the isra who reads who is reading the law to the people and the first four jewish sects from the prophet isra should be the big, um, in in my opinion should be the beginning of the islam story so this is where the the moment people started following isra that is when the islam story begins that all those things have started turning up and the council of nicaea in 325 ad served as the starting point for the umayyad so i am saying that around 300 years back the idea for the umayyad had been established it was already in place we will go through things to understand it further so what happens is that at the at this particular council right uh, we spoke about the, the nicaea council of 325 ad so at particular con this council Jesus had been declared divine son of God, and Christianity was happily united. That time, everyone was very clear about it. His son of God, and but uh, according to the Arian Church historian Eusebius, it was made clear that we believe in one God, the Almighty Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the God, the only begotten of the Father. So here, what we see that there is a rejection of Jesus as a God or consideration. Because the consideration has come as a begotten son of the God, and the, the they also come up with the idea about the missing of the crucifixion. This is what the Arian Christian law, uh, Christian uh, Christology brings forth in front of us, and uh, perhaps uh, this is actually the seed of Islam, where you reject uh, the crucifixion, crucifixion, and you also see that um, Jesus is the begotten. Uh, Jesus is. A human being. He had nothing to do with the God. He is just like Muhammad, right? So we spoke about the Council of Nicaea, and see what we read in the Quran: thirty-eight point three, eighteen point three, seventeen point one 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 is exactly what the Council of Nicaea was talking about. So we, so he's like Quran thirty-eight point three is talking about an imposter. And that uh, the book may warn that those who say God has begotten a son, praise be to the God who has not begotten a son, who hath no partner in the kingdom, nor any protector on any account of the weakness. So, what we see is that you know, the idea of the Islam was set in the Council of Nicaea itself in 325 AD, which is uh, around two, three hundred and ten years, three hundred seven years before. The alleged demise of the Muhammad. So then came the Council of Antioch in 341 AD. So what it does is that it declared Jesus the man with the spirit constituting of the Word of God. So uh, the Council was like a backlash against uh, uh, against the Eastern bishop because uh, they had a very different school of thought and uh, they had declared that you know there is nothing spiritual about Jesus and things. So. Uh, what happened that uh, uh, though the Nicaea was supposed to bring the unity among the uh, the Christians, so instead of that, the variations in the number of uh, we found that there was a variation in number of the Nician canons. So they were even the what was discussed in the Nicaea, it was further distributed in different forms of text. Uh, the uh, Antiochs, uh, uh, what we're talking about, this counter edict and uh, Alexandria's uh, stubborn refusal to compromise. Reflect on a long and bloody struggle that would be in full swing at the beginning of the seventh century. So, what happened uh, between the Antioch Council and the Nicaea, and the kind of variation of the canons of the Nicaea's words, which are being distributed, 
so it really set the roman world on fire they were kind of just into the war in the 7th century we'll discuss it further that how this was working after nicaea the jews were expelled east and the pre existing eastern christian parties were complemented with several dispersed jews sects of the archivist judeo messianic judeo trinitarian and the rabbinic origin so scholars do believe that the complex and often contradictory traditions are an unreliable source for historical evidences so indeed we need to go for the primary sources so what i did is that now i am not referring to islam from quran but i am trying to understand that what the primary sources say about the principles of islam so while i'm reading it out about the council of nicaea and while we talk about uh, the antioch so a uh, council of antioch so it becomes very clear that the foundation of islam is being laid here the idea is and the seed has been led over there so the we see in quran we have overwhelming number of uh, surahs which talk of uh, anti trinitarian concept quran is also uh, talks a lot against israel and adam being the son of the god they even israel and adam are not considered as a son of god on the other hand the anti trinitarian stance also allows for the separation of a number of sects that would uh, undoubtedly be opponents of the quran so they will become the opponents of the quran then so it is definitely assumed that umayyads were muslims and the islam's birth pains were related to the pagan remnants in mecca however uh, the current historicity appears to rest on the whitewashed order of the events that is indicative of an eagerness of the actors to be connected to the supporters of muhammad so uh, this scenario uh, ideally is the does not only defies human nature but also the reality of the organized religion it really brings forth the idea that you know the whole thing was conspired and really made to happen in a certain way so from the beginning judaism and christianity were in a state of perpetual fragmentation that was triggered by a uh, new books and ideas we all are aware about it the slightest deviations in beliefs tended to lead to fires opposition it was happening from ages it's not nothing new and a lot of bloodshed used to happen and we it would thus be it would be naive to assume that a widespread agreement on the quran happened started bringing the bloodshed in fact the jews and the different ideas of christianity were also leading to a lot of wars among the people so then came the fourth uh, communal council of the chalcedon so it happens in 451 ad so now we are around 170 years before the alleged death of muhammad so byzantine orthodoxy had declared jesus as both fully man and fully god so the dual nature was adopted to the jesus by now uh, in this uh, ecumenical council byzantines were determined to implement the new doctrine throughout christianity at the sword point so it was actually happening so byzantine had declared that in 451 ad they will make sure that uh, you know to uh, to make people believe that jesus is both fully man and the fully god so it was happening on the point of sword and this is uh, recorded uh, this is recorded in the history now in the 450 uh, the council of chalcedon what you see here is a ghasnit uh, empire and the lakmit empire so this is close to the roman empire then this is close to the sasanid persian empire so what happens is that uh, uh, aryanism uh, which we discussed initially 
is a christological doctrine which was attributed to arius uh, a christian prebister uh, in alexandria egypt arian theology holds that jesus christ uh, is the son of the god uh, who was begotten by god and father and is distinct from the father therefore he is subordinate to the god he is not exactly god but he is subordinate to the god however in the contrast with the traditional trinitarianism arianism because trinitarianism has got a different arianism holds that the uh, that the son is also the son of god but not co eternal with god the father in contrast the term arian is derived from the name i we spoke about it and the term now uh what happens uh, now i'll come back to it because one side was going with the arian idea and one was going with the trinitarian idea so in the early 6th century the arian lacmets so these were following the concept of the uh, arianism in syria were displaced with the help of new byzantine ally the while the melkite ghasnids these are the melkite people and who were the melkite melkite were originally used as a it was a pejorative term after the acrimonious division that occurred in the eastern christianity after the council of chalcedon so uh, just after this a new term was introduced for a new for the idea uh, followed by the people who agreed to the uh, things given by the ecumenical council of chalcedon so the ghasnids were lifted to the royal vassal kings by the byzantine empire so these people are made a vassal of the byzantine empire while the immigrating shmalites turned into the vengeful enemies from the southern iraq also called the arabistan or the hira so they would decide so what happens next is that uh, we come to 531 ad and this is a uh, area this time is remarkable because this is about siege of martyropolis in 531 ad this is 101 years uh, 100 to uh, 101 years before the alleged death of muhammad so what we see that a siege of uh, martyropolis occurred in autumn of 531 uh, during the liberian war between the sasanian empire and kavad uh, under kavad one kavad one was the ruler of the sasanian empire that time in 531 ad and the byzantine empire under justinian one so justinian one was from the side of the byzantine empire he was leading them and kavad one was the ruler of the sasanian empire so and the siege uh, and it happened in 531 ad so a roman raid from the metropolis triggered the sasanians to launch a siege on the newly fortified frontier city initially the sasanians had a upper hand but uh, as a series of political events and the logistical issues led them to withdraw the sasanians had to withdraw it was the last conflict of the liberian war the new allies of the persia so the lakmids the new allies of the persia he migrated smelites lakmits were lifted to the persian royal vessel so while byzantine had made the ghasnids at the royal vessel these guys are made into the royal vessel by the uh, this is the persians they went on to help the crushing of justinian superior army in 531 ad which we spoke about and an internal peace agreement was made so this image is of the justinian one and this is of covered uh, it's uh, of covered one so somehow justinian doesn't go very good in a history he has got kind of very black kind of record when i say black he is not very much celebrated of a person so what exact so what does justinian do the decisions made uh, 
Justinian subjected the church in the Byzantine Empire and in the parts of Italy to the Roman law. He had so he had a Roman law, and uh, what we see on the right side, it was his Roman law. He made the Chalcedonian Christianity the state religion. So the Chalcedonian Christianity had become the state religion now, and he seized the treasures of the Arian churches. So who, so he is siding by the Ghaznid people. So if I just go back to the slide one, this this is a Ghaznid empire. So they are finding the support from the Justinian, and these were the people, Lakhmits, were the Ishmaelites who were finding the support of the Sasanian Persian Empire. The decision uh, made by Justinian are known as Corpus Juris Civilis. Uh, the, so uh, after 381 AD, uh, we, uh, it was the first time when uh, a new uh, religion was or a new idea about Jesus was being enforced upon people at a state religion. So uh, as per the Corpus, uh, there were a lot of uh, atrocities upon the Jews. The corpus, this is the Corpus which I'm talking about. So the, it ensured that uh, Jews should enjoy no honors, and they were they had to be discriminated against in every civil and religious rights. They were forbidden to use the Hebrew language for their worship. So we see that the Jews are being kind of crushed by this Byzantine people uh, under the Justinian one. So uh, after so Justinian terror was really massive, and it's spoken about by a lot of people. And Byzantine Empire. Was really there were a lot of talks about Justinian that he uh, is doing this atrocity and like how it happens among the subjects, and uh, uh, under his reign, millions of uh, Montanus, Sabatians, Samaritans, Jews, and Arians turned into the immigrants. So they were the they started immigrating. So uh, the the Jews in Yemen started killing the Trinitarian Christians. So. Because the Jews were being persecuted by the Justinian as per his corpus, of, which, is, which is called the Corpus Juris Civil. So now Jews started giving back to the uh, Christians. So uh, this led to uh, the expulsion of the Jews. So once this kind of civil war happened, the Jews were further subjugated to the expulsion by the Christian neighbor, which uh, leaded to more of a Jewish immigrants. So the Justinian, and then we come to a big thing which happened around that period, which is also called Justinian plague. It happened between 541 to 6, uh, 549 AD. It lasted for around nine years and uh, was the beginning of the uh, and it was the uh, one of the uh, first oldest world pandemic of the plague. And it caused a contagious disease caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. And the disease afflicted the entire Mediterranean basin Europe, the near east, and severely affected the Sasanian Empire and the Roman Empire, and especially the capital Constantinople. So the plague is named uh, actually after the Roman Emperor Constant uh, in Constantinople, Justinian one. So this was also called a Justinian one plague, because according to uh, his own court historian Procopius, he had contracted the disease and recovered in 542 AD. So in kind of uh, and the remembrance this name was given to him and also it is said that uh, at the height of uh, epidemic though, when it was uh, really on the rise he was uh, subjecting his people to more of poverty he was not there were very high taxes and a lot of things were happening so he somehow is considered to be also the engineer of the devastation in the plague and so uh, we see that uh, 
after the uh, Sasanian Byzantine civil wars had stopped, Persia had fought back and managed to occupy Syria. So now Persia was having the Syria, cutting the Melkite Ghaznids off from the Byzantine domain. So Ghaznids are now cut off from the Byzantine domain completely. Uh, in the confusing back and forth, the Persian and the Byzantine empires ended up forging an alliance in 591 AD. So if you see that and now these two guys, the Lakhmids and the Ghaznids are made fool out of because these Persian and the Byzantine just get into an alliance and the both Malkite Ghaznids and the Lakhmid Ishmaelites lost their partners, military contract and the prestigious royal status. So from the 7th century onward, we see that things start changing drastic, uh, drastically. So uh, this is called the Rome's low point, uh, this period, and Rome had uh, started facing a lot of devastation. So um, it's said that fundamentalism was at rise in the Rome, and uh, around 20,000, uh, it is said that Rome was, uh, uh, once upon a time, it was inhabiting around 1.7 million people, but now that 1.7 million had come down to 20,000. So that was a kind of purge which happened over there. Us is because of the deadly plagues and of course a lot of civil wars and a lot of things were happening and uh, so uh, there is one very interesting thing that uh, once the plague were happening uh, so the Pope uh, Georgery in the Rome had expressed his feelings that the world had come to an end so he's saying that the world has come to an end and it was his successor and while he said this, this made a lot of people convert to the pagan Roman Christianity, which was being, uh, uh, which was spread by the Justinian. So there's a lot of mass conversions also happened in that period. So um, I do believe that this had also led to a lot of transition in the faith of the people. So by the seventh century, the, there was a sectarian unrest during the time of Morris, Focus and uh, Heraclius had swept the entire Middle East and the Europe. Heraclius was one of the very mighty empire, uh, emperor of the uh, Byzantines. And uh, he had actually swept almost whole of a land. He had, um, he was expanding like anything in that time. And the uh, Melkite patriarchs, Melkite as in the Kassanids, of Alexandria, Jerusalem, and Antioch seized on an opportunities and merged their churches. So what they started doing, the Malkites were now merging their churches. And John Bishop of Niku, who has written a lot about what was happening that time, did say that God was patient with those apostates and the heretics that had undergone baptism a second time. That is, it means that those that fell from orthodoxy into the Muslim camp. Here, Muslim is a term which is used for the immigrants. It, it, it doesn't mean it's come from Muzahir and that is how it happened. Muslim actually never meant by Islam that time. It was about the people who were immigrating. So because they again converted to Christianity. So that's why he's talking about this, that you know, John Bishop Niku declared that the apostates and the heretics that had undergone baptism a second time, that is those that fell from orthodoxy into the Muslim camp, where Muslim indicates a large number of immigrants who had fled from the Byzantine territories and then rejoined Trinitarian orthodoxies. So we, we see that immigration was happening, but there's a time when they came back and they just accepted Christianity 
which was being practiced by the state back then and and we also and the uh, the, the bishop niku also makes a very interesting remark that time that uh, a lot of immigrants were being persecuted by the heraclian uh, the heraclius the emperor of the byzantine that time so if uh, you could this is the statement which i put for john bishop niku and this is uh, the reference for his saying he clearly makes a statement that there were secrets of apostates and the cosmos were delivered up in the city now these are denied the christian faith and had abandoned holy baptism and had followed in the paths of the pagans and idolaters but again he makes a statement that they were reconverted he has a uh, john niku has recorded a lot of things about what was happening that time so by the 7th century uh, what we see is that uh, aryans were completely opposing the chalcedonian formula of jesus so aryans and chalcedonian stayed always poles apart so as per the aryans and semi aryans jesus was definitely a man they never saw jesus as a divine person that way and the persian emperor actually made sure that the christians in the east remained religious enemies of the byzantines so the uh, as in the it was made sure that the lakmits always remained like a enemies of the ghasni uh, the ghasnids so that was continuing so persian emperor made sure that this really exists so the their core would have been clustered around the southern iraq and the eastern arab peninsula and the patriarch located in the cilicia uh, uh, which was in danger of the conversion by the heraclius uh, conquest so heraclius was also looking to convert the people back then so what is very interesting that because aryans and semi aryans were perceiving jesus as a man so they got a lot of support by the persian and when they got the support of the persians they started adopting the persian customs so this is what you see is exactly a case that how this transition was happening so aryans and the semi aryans had seen jesus as a man and this was very much celebrated and liked by the persians and they were supporting them and in return they had started taking up the persian culture and this is where the we also see the foundation of the nestorian ideas as well so in 7th century is quite interesting because uh, and the person uh, we have seen that uh, as per the standard islamic narrative this is where whole of islam is trying looking to spread but uh, when we look at actually the primary sources because we don't have any literature from the 7th century so we are going back to this roman literature and what was happening uh, uh happening in the byzantines what 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 has been re- recorded by the syriac text and all those things so what it gives is a very thrilling experience it uh, if you ask me that it's way more interesting than da vinci code uh, film or the book rather so what happens the persian emperor killed the last lakmit smilite king in the alhira so persian emperor though the lakmits were finding the support of uh, the persian india the persian emperor kills the lakmit smilite king in alhira and put yas ibn kabisa altai in the place in order to prevent the ishmaelites from converting to the orthodox enemy camp so what he does is that he brings in a new guy called yas ibn kabisa altai this name is very important we need to remember it because in my projection this guy yas ibn kabisa 
was a one which had been projected as mohabbat i the various reason we will discuss about this as well that why we come to this conclusion so he did rule the uh, the lakhmits from 602 to 611 ad together with the persian governor nakijan followed with the governor azad beg in 611 to 633 ad so if you see if you look at the dates so it will give you a lot of idea it's 602 to 611 611 to 633 ad so just keep these dates in mind so yes and he was actually uh, appointed as an interim governor initially by uh, hormit for who was the monarch of the persia at that time and uh, because he always believed he a lot there's a lot of literature also available about that for why he supported yasib kabisa and those things we we can get to know about that as well so at some point the persian king hamred uh, has also awarded yasib kabisa around 30 villages along with the euphrates as a grant for for uh, for uh, and he, it was made sure that he controls all those 30 villages and the, and the, and the part of the euphrates to not so that they just don't convert back to the orthodox ideas of the byzantines so he was ensuring that so now we also get to know that uh, yasin kabisa is a very important name per se because the first reference to muhammad if you ask anyone that uh, you know what is the proof of muhammad and the first uh, reference what people will give is what what is a uh, is a uh, say is a text from 636 ad which is lying in a british library and it talks about muhammad uh, it talks about the tayyi uh, of muhammad it is talking about it is about a battle which was fought in 634 ad at the gaza strip where the things are going on right now and it talks about muhammad di tayyi so tayyi is if you see in the name yas bin kabisa al tayyi so this is a tayyi tribe so they this it means that actually this muhammad was belonging to a tayyi tribe and uh, if we carefully look into this man yas bin kabisa how he rose and all those things then we can relate that how actually he is uh, he perhaps was the muhammad so this is what i was talking about the thomas the provincial chronicle in 648 in the year 634 there were a battle between the romans and the romans of byzantine and the tayyi the mehmet mehmet is the lakhmits of muhammad so lakhmits the lakhmits is a place or the people who are known by the tayyi tribe who had actually migrated from yemen in second century to this place so this muhammad is belonging to the lakhmits or is belonging to the tayyi tribe the palestine 12 miles east of the gaza and this is the first reference which everyone gives about as a primary source for the existence of muhammad but this muhammad is belonging to the tayyi and the uh, the lakhmi people which is far far up than makkah and medina so 610 ad becomes very interesting because and uh, in the 610 ad uh, uh, we uh, so we get to uh, Uh, perhaps i am sure that everyone will be aware about elijah uh, because this is a biblical name and uh, he is a one of the prophet and <coughs> prophecy was made that someone named elijah will come and try to save the people right and is claimed to and uh, 
I'm, if I have to quote Malachi, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and I strike the earth with a curse. And this is this uh, name, what we see, Elijah, is exactly the name of this man, Kabisa, which we were talking about. Elias is Elias. Elias actually in the Hebrew becomes Elijah. So, which means, simply means, my God is Yuvahe, right? So, uh, my hypothesis is uh, rather now a theory that this man was adopted. He was actually the Muhammad who did whatever was to be done, but he was doing in Northern Arabia. And they choose, and this man had a nickname, which was Muhammad. So they choose the Muhammad as a name, but they didn't choose the Elijah, which was the first name, because if they would have chosen this name, this would have been a disaster. You know, my God is Yahweh. It can't go with the new faith, which has to go against every faith which saw Yahweh as a God, because they wanted a new God. And so this is one big twist of 622 AD. So the king vanished as Muhammad appeared out of the cave of Hira, right? In an obvious remembrance of the cave of Eliza, where the ancient and the new prophet received the revelations from the angel Gabriel. Eliza did also receive the, receive the revelations from Gabriel in the cave Al-Hira. So there's one more cave Al-Hira there, and we have um, fabricated Al-Hira this side. So in Al-Hira, he had received, so you can connect the dots now. One might be tempted to speculate that the cessation may have fallen together with Heraclius' victory over the Persian in 622 AD. And 622 AD, if you recall, is the time when the Hijra begins, right? Is G-O-A-H, Al-Hijri. So this is the period of Exodus of Muhammad. He goes from, this is where the Exodus begins. And it becomes so this uh, so uh, the islamic calendars begins from this year but what is very interesting is that what you see here is one of the coin of the heraclius this coin with, with is having the heraclius emblem 639 ad damascus mint bs year 17 but it means in 639 ad is the 17th year of the Heracl the king heraclius era so it means that ah certainly means Augustus Heraclius, 17th year of, so 639 is exactly the 17th year of the Islamic calendar as well, because 622 plus 17, so this go all in all in a single line, right? So you see that how this is, these things are grossly related. Now the Malkites or the Ghasnets are in Syria, where they see that Jesus is the man, but his spirit was the word of God. Jews were being forced converted to the Chalcedonian grid. So these people who are being supported by the Byzantine are converting the Jews ferociously. So, and what actually the Malkites had advanced the Jewish spiritual middle ground in Syria, where they had they used to call it a very um, Jewish spiritual ground, and um, it was almost like a middle ground where they say that Jesus was a man, um, but his spirit was the word of God. The creed would be reflected in John Bishop uh, Niku Chronicles, where he says that the Godhead indeed is not converted into the manhood, nor the manhood into the nature, but the word which has become flesh and become unchangeable. 
and no change can affect the world but the world which has become flesh is one divine substance while there is little doubt that so while we see that there is a little doubt that john bishop nicu rejected the chalcedonian creeds there is um, there is a lot of text which also shows this belief that he reached across to a spectrum of christology where he sees that jesus was born from man as well so he is contradicting or rather he is giving both the opinions so it means that they had taken a middle ground the melkites in syria they refused to submit to the new orthodoxy and uh, were strong in modern and they were very strong in the modern syria and in the western arab peninsula according to john bishop of nicu the jews on byzantine territory were also to be forced converted to the chalcedonian creed lifting them to potential partner in a allied judaic opposition so you see that the whole context of the islam is being created so we see that anti semitism was on rise and this is a quote which i have put from quran which talks about uh, anti semitism and so uh, we, the idea of jesus having both a human and a divine nature created a new dispute that would uh, weaken the inner cohesion of the byzantines just in the time to play into the hands of the advancing caliphate if jesus was both god and man the question was whether uh, his will was also of dual nature right the result was a rebellion in the age so um, what was happening that when this dual nature of jesus was been talked about so egypt erupted into a rebellion and even that a united stance of the church could not do much of a thing against them. so those churches were showing that you know we are united and all but the people were not very happy with the idea they were very rebellious in nature that you know, they can't accept jesus in this way and they can't accept jesus in that way so and this had actually paralyzed the the, the territory of heraclius completely so heraclius territory was weakening day by day because of internal conflicts so those who took the control of the various power fractions were of the most dangerous extremist extremist in nature so whoever were working under the heraclius a very extremist and uh, though the churches were collaborating and they were saying that everything is fine and all but the people who were working with heraclius were going on to persecute the people who was not agreeing to the idea of the church propagated by the heraclius so whatever heraclius was propagating was not being accepted so there were a lot of extremities so um, it said that there were a lot of terrorist organizations uh, i mean it was the religious terrorist organization literally on a global scale uh, which were ready to kill or die for the faith in the fundamentalist version of god and jesus on the either side so for example if you see that jerusalem was engulfed in a sectarian killings in 615 ad there were a lot of killing which happened in jerusalem in 615 ad and the persian emperor seized the true cross and had tens of thousands of inhabitants in the holy city executed the jews were now homeless expelled from spain persia constantinople with this geopolitical background it seems likely that the quran served as a doctrinal enforcement for of jesus ezra and adam being men rather than constituting the foundation of a new and perhaps that time insignificant religion that targeted the kurish pagans the pagans at time a tribe which was of sheer obscurity of which nothing is known actually you know know nothing about the kurish we know a little about it but they were being persecuted because of this idea of jesus israel and adam 
so quran's authors express themselves so obviously uh, that uh, the new scripture would not have been received well had it addressed the foreigners of the children of the israel so had they perceived the uh, children of israel as a foreigners then quran will not be received well. so th- they were kind of playing a dual policies in the dual games what you can say the authors of the quran also address uh, uh, the that uh, the recipient of the message has to know the torah and the moses laws so one who knows the moses law only is the you know receiver of the quran it's very clear uh, from the quran itself so the difficulty to understand the quran is in uh, lies in the fact that it has got negative messages which uh, exist uh, against the judaic gods but at the same time it considers them the book of people so it gives you a clue that though it is for the same people but it's rejecting their own god or the, their own idea of divinity so probably the best uh, anti doctrinal clarification in regards to jesus can be found only in the quran if you uh, ask me and it represent exact response to the orthodox definition of the christianity so the quran emerges as a continuum of the pool of judo christic sects that refuse to submit to the chalcedonian or the any trinitarian notion so if you look at this particular sura which actually we hope you, you all were able to read this sura which is completely anti semitic in nature it's from quran 4.126227 and this is from quran 5.765.77 and 5.79 infidels now are they so what we see one, one thing is very interesting about uh, the concept of pay, uh, the pagans that time so uh, what happens is that this quoted verse declares that the spirit constitutes of word of god the malkite spirit went through john of baptist to jesus to survive they may have first been part of a mohammedan line later they must have become renounced their membership when it became clear that the quraish dynasty started to claim the new spiritual supremacy over the new judaic pact so so we see that whatever is running around is very much political and it's very much in context of how the jesus is gonna be perceived and uh, everyone who didn't agree to a particular idea was actually pagan it uh, paganism was not just um, limited to one who doesn't believe in the god or but it was very much uh, like uh, orthodox christian was very much pagan to a uh, christian who believe in arianism so likewise these people who were now starting to uh, form the new sect and see uh, and have a new book they were seeing the orthodox christian and the arian also to some extent as a, uh, as the pagans i just want to understand that uh, if the things are really becoming clear or it's getting a bit too technical or uh, anything which has been the thing is that uh, if islamic uh, view of jesus is similar to that of the aryan view it, it cannot be automatically assumed that islam is a sort of variant of aryanism or a survival of aryanism on the arabian peninsula i mean if uh, i get your argument right maybe that's what you're arguing is that so it certainly isn't uh, if i would say that right now it's very much a hypothesis 
and this ba- this is based on the ideas which i have collected by the reading of the literature around and the research which i have put across and i i do get a very strong belief and a faith that uh, the the contradiction in the ideas of christianity like how arianism was perceiving um, uh, jesus as it actually led to the creation of a new faith which was islam and in fact the quran if you look at quran so quran essentially is a book which expects you to know all the literature of the past like the old testament and new testament and if you are not aware of it you can the receiver has to be aware of it so i do get a feel that uh, it, it, it that is how it conspired uh, and transpired and because we don't have any evidence for islam per se we don't have you know because uh, there is no evidence at all for even muhammad there, there is no ex- so the existence for muhammad also comes from the sources like uh, i, I uh, spoke about the source of 6, 634 ad where spoken that muhammad tayyib so here the muhammad this tayyib people are also becoming to belonging to the um, this muhammad is belonging to tayyib people so and they, this these guys this muhammad the tayyib is belonging to the lakmit region right so the so lakmit people are finding a support from initially from the, the persians and to control the people uh, of the persia the heraclius the king heraclius kind of a appoints this man uh, the, the the king of persia appoints uh, uh, yasmin kabisa as a kind of a head of this uh, head of his al hirayan gives him 30 villages hamlet uh, 5 uh, he has given him so he is trying to make sure that the conversions towards the orthodox christianity doesn't happen or whatever is happening that side and lakmits were definitely the people who were expelled from who were living towards the syria initially and they were the people who were thrown out because they were not agreeing to the idea of the chalcedonian principle because the arianism was a kind of a bit different to what actually chalcedonian idea was so that's why i do have a belief that certainly it emerged out of uh, uh, the arianism so what we do recall is that you know uh like uh, there there was always a conflict uh, about the views of the jesus and how he is to perceive and people had different th- thought process aryans had a very different altogether different th- thought process and um, all it happened because initially there was a the persian and the, the byzantine were trying to you know just push forward the ghaznis were being pushed forward by the the byzantines while the lakmis were being pushed uh, forward by the persian side so and both the persians and the byzantines were kind of trying to use these people and there was always a kind of unrest among them the ghaznids and the lakmids and lakmids eventually you know started inclining more towards because the lakmids were the people who had got a very strong faith that uh, you know jesus is a man and they started uh, adopting to the persian customs right so the exchange of the persian customs perhaps that was the starting point of uh, you know uh, the how actually the because they had the book the idea given taken from the old and new testament and now they had the custom so what you see if you see islam today it adopts a lot of things the persian culture it has um, and the book what they have or the literature what they have it's very judaic in nature right because it uh, as i said it cannot be read by anyone who is not aware about the judaic text at all so yeah so that, that that is my strong condition so moving forward with my slides what we see is that uh, 
Quran has got a lot of negativity to uh, for the Jews and anyone who just subscribes to the Trinitarian notion of the Jesus. What happens is that the first uh, the first new scripture which appears. it is kind of really the verses which had been picked about the antisemitism or the verses which are picked about going against the orthodox christianity it is actually nothing but can be translated to what exactly the jihad by the sword means in nature so this is this has started happening uh, this is happening in terms of action though it might not have been captured into the book completely so what happens that uh, uh, the the uh, as a time passes uh, the kurish dynasty started to claim the spiritual supremacy of, over the new judaic pact we see that gradually the kurish text had started picking it up very vehemently and this theocracy possibly emerged out of alhira basra or cilicia kasifan Alhira was one of the few Christian centers of Syro-Aramic uh, liturgical teachings as well. If anyone recalls that, what happened that uh, in these places there were liturgical teachings of the Syro-Aramic Christian text used to happen. It means that the people were, you know, laying the uh, laying the text out of the Old and New Testament and put in order and the, what needs to be read. And I said initially also that Quran is nothing but a liturgical book of the Old and the New Testament. Right. So, the Malkite middle ground in Syria was particularly prone to flip-flopping, thus like breaking the alliances and undergoing double baptism, which seems to find the repeated parallels in Quran as well. So we see this happening. Ended on the Quranic foundation, the call to forfeiting power to Quraysh prominently stands out. Uh, we have seen it. The centrality of the Quraysh lineage for ultimate. Uh, you know the centrality of the quraish lineage is very important because why muhammad was made to belong to the quraish and though thus one if he wouldn't have been belonging to the quraish then he would have gone to have belonged to uh, the uh, the elijah's family the which we spoke about the prophet elijah and what this would have done is that that would have created a contradiction that though the quraish are the people who were adopting to the ideas first and these are the people of the uh, the was following the new book but this man was having a new actually comes from the eliza family who we spoke about yasmin kavisar initially so i didn't dealt with the detail of who he was how the tayyib migrated and all those things and why it has to be linked with eliza but the case is that this this guy perhaps belonged to the elijah community uh, elijah's family and if that would have happened this would have given a case that muhammad has got two different descendants two different descendants which is which possibly wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible so the centrality of quraish lineage become very important and uh, we have we see a lot of problems with genealogical fixing because it somehow cannot be fixed we don't have a Lot of sources to talk about who exactly the Quraysh was. There's a lot of a lot of hypothesis that perhaps uh, it comes from the Cyrus. It's also a term for the Quraysh. It has come from there, the King Cyrus. Or we see that as per the Chinese sources, actually the Quraysh are the people who were living in Persia and the Syria in Northern Arabia, and they belong to the Tayyib tribe. This is what few Chinese sources also say. So 
Chinese sources are saying that this guy belongs to the the Kurish belongs to Tayyar tribe. We have a hypothesis that uh, the King Cyrus, uh, the Kurish comes from the King Cyrus. So there are lots of mixed ideas, but we don't see Kurish anywhere going down the south. We see them wherever they may be, but they are up north, wherever they may be. So this idea that Kurish were the Meccan people, it fails completely. It's somehow is non-acceptable. It doesn't go with the, how the sources lay in front of us. So we see that uh, uh, the because I'm talking about the Quraysh and the Muhammad. So we see that we don't have any sources uh, which can actually place Quraysh in the southern belt. And uh, this Tayyir tribe, which I was talking about uh, in terms of uh, Yasmin Kabisa, but this Tayyir tribe had actually migrated from the uh, Yemen to towards the northern Arabia in second century. So around 500 years before all these things are happening. And Thai were a very prominent people. You know, they, they had controlled the territories, like I told that uh, this Yasmin Kabisa uh, had got a lot of around 30 villages to control. And the idea was only to you know, just push the rebellions, if I have to say. So that is why he was made the, and we saw that, you know, how uh, uh, in 610 AD, 622 AD, Augustus Heracles. Uh, had won, uh, had become very powerful. He had captured a lot of territories, and after 17 years, he had brought a, uh, he had introduced a coin which bears a date 17 in 639 AD. So it gives you a lot of clue that you know how the story was being cooked up. Uh, so in the primary sources, so we see that uh, actually the history of Islam and whole of our Middle East is highly jumbled up. So in the primary sources, uh, we see that during the rise of Christianity and Islam. The word pagan is often used as a curse word for different sects rather than the label for polytheist or belief of Roman, Persians, or Arab flavors. From a Muslim or uh, Aryan Christian point of view, every sect that believed in anything other than a single and undivided Judaic God was actually pagan. They called Trinitarians associations and idolaters or also enemies of God as uh, enemies of God because they, according to John of Damascus, he has, uh, I have put the quote over here, John of Damascus, uh, according to John of Damascus, they had declared Christ to be the son of the God. Likewise, acquisitions of uh, idolatry stems from the venerations of the cross as well. We see it uh, happening various times. God is one. Say, uh, like uh, we see that uh, um, it's clearly said that God is one, say not three. He has no son. This, these core doctrinal issues are repeated so many times in Quran that it seems beyond doubt that Islam stands on its surface for rejecting Trinitarian doctrine. So undoubtedly, it is drawing inspirations from there. In contrast, uh, the Quran mentions polytheism in sense of paganism only in two insignificant contemporary events and otherwise exclusively in historic analogies. From an orthodox point of view, differing ideas that uh, denied the Trinity would either be antichrist or godless for denying Jesus being God or pagan in order to avoid the calling the enemy by the name. They would have looked at the Muslims as having embraced uh, the doctrine of the beast that is Muhammad. So this is the statements which are made by John the Damascus that he is clearly saying that how these things happened. The first commandment in Exodus is quite clear. 
says that you shall have no other gods before me there are a lot of scholarly interpretations actually that attempt to explain away the trinitarian difficulty with paganism but these are not subject to discuss but but this right now is not very much subject to discussion we won't be dwelling much deep into it it is believed that muhammad and mali chanced upon the pre existing jewish and the christian scriptures the the text of uh, the old and the new testament hence it is unclear what the religious affinities were and who accepted or refuted the teachings of muhammad we can't actually recall because he was just speaking the words from the old and new testament and using the name muhammad because of course there was someone muhammad not exactly what quran says but this guy was uh, preaching something so the quran suggests that the early muslims and parallel to the follower of jesus in the new testament had turned away from the new teachings after the prophet's death so ibn ishaq if i have to quote ibn ishaq ibn ishaq is the guy who writes the biography of muhammad after 200 years like portrayed islam as evaporating so he says that islam was going away although this evidence is inadmissible because he he clearly stated that you know relapse into the idolatry took place and the judaism and christianity rose again both remaining unclear as to author's understanding so it becomes so even by the in the ibnishan's testimony it, it doesn't become very clear if there had been a nascent islam in 632 ad say for example if we say that it was existing it turned into a scattered stillbirth and it seems that the evolution of prophet muhammad's last sermon the way of truth into the quran was interrupted for the same time being if it ever made into the spiritual collection despite the presence of 10000 witnesses to the last sermon the collective memory seems to have forgotten which surah this might have been there still multiple sectarian versions with uh, competing messages are extant as an analogy islam pretends as if was unclear where jesus sermon of the mount would have to be found in the new testament so in fact the uh, the descriptions given in quran also and what the biographers of muhammad also trying to say it doesn't make very clear that you know the religion of islam are existing it is always justifying the fact rather that you know just a new sect of people had come who had rebellion thoughts about the existing orthodoxy of christianity and uh, things like that so i would be uh, so actually i was today supposed to even dwell into the mudis man yasmin kapisa was and why do i have a thesis that you know this man was muhammad and i also want to talk about who actually wrote the quran and how the book came into being and what is the story of makkah and what is the black stone so these subjects which we will be dealing with in the next session so i will try to make it even more precise so we were almost into the end that how actually islam reached but uh, we will take this up in the next session that uh, quite freshly so uh, i will talk about how actually islam emerged after these disturbances among the christian sects and we'll talk about muhammad who this man muhammad is and we'll also talk about uh, what exactly this quran is how it was written who wrote it and of course makkah good evening uh, mr abbas and uh, uh, it's a wonderful academic uh, 
discussion uh, for us uh, to understand much of it was little difficult yet i would uh, really what i understand out of the whole thing is uh, they were so well entwined all the all these three religions i mean whether they were entwined or they were loggerheads <laughs> we don't uh, we can see that so i was just thinking that if you would put up a very modern view of the present uh, religions later on sometimes yeah sure we can do it uh, some other time uh, as you we can definitely do a comparative study of how the things are happening and um, i have always perceived as um, the religion of the abrahamism to have emerged out of uh, the political wills there was not much of a spirituality related to the idea spirituality was always a added factor and of all islam was definitely a faith which actually in my opinion didn't exist till 7th of the century and it started though the idea was being cooked up since 4th century but it emerged into a full fledged religion and it was abbasids who formulated it in a very right and not right in a appropriate way how the islam needs to be spread or you know the kind of the you submit to someone this was brought out by abbasids in my opinion because abbasids had actually burned down all the literature of uh, the umayyads as well we have the records for it and um, uh, abbasids were the one who were you know just uh, uh, manufacturing hadiths like how weapons are being manufactured during the war more the war the more the hadiths were produced and uh, uh, and uh, and at the same time this even this story of uh, this uh, uh, bin qasim of the sind also comes from there it was commissioned to uh, uh, the, for the first time we hear of bin qasim in 895 ad or rather about the story of the sind which is 180 years uh, after the alleged strike by the 17 year old juvenile boy awarded under a team um or even because the, even the makkah was not existing so all this makkah thing was also fabricated and so islam of all is the one of the most uh, uh, the faith which is based on a lot of uh, ideas which are false to nature which is not very true and a lot of fiction is associated with it though of course christianity and the jews have got certain substance though yes uh, even existence of Jesus can be questioned. It is questioned. I do. Be, I don't believe that Jesus existed. It's, it's of course very good. I mean, it's, it's very important that apart from the criticism of the Islam as Muslims believe it, which for India was pioneered by Sitaram Goel, that now uh, the criticism of Islam as history sees it, which is very different from how Muslims see it, that that is also brought into India. So I, I think this is a great initiative, and so I, I thank Abbas for his uh, effort. Um, as for uh, well, things that surprise me. Well, first of all, the etymology of Quraysh being related to Kuros uh, or Cyrus. You see, I'm, I'm surprised. I never thought of this, but actually, it's perfectly possible. Etymologically, quite uh, quite sensible. It's not far fetched at all. Um, then, as for the word pagan, there I have a little problem. You see, to say that everybody, including Christians who didn't believe exactly in an orthodox fashion, uh, were all called 
pagan, that's not what I thought I knew. But I mean, maybe, you know, I can learn. But um, you see, pagan is a Roman term. It's not in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, but in the West. And uh, it dates, as far as I know, to the time when Christianity was expanding. So in the cities, you had preachers who collected crowds and preached to them Christianity and converted them. Whereas in the countryside, this preaching was much less effective, more difficult to organize and so on. So there you still had the believers in the old religion called village bumpkins, because that's the effective meaning of pagan. Uh, so people who were not with the new fashion. And um, whereas a Christian who did not strictly follow the church, like, for instance, the Aryan Christians or the Melkite Christians or the Coptic Christians, they were called heretics. Um, that's a Greek term that also existed in Greek much. Now, in the case of Islam, you see, for the church fathers, this was also, you see, unlike the polytheists, uh, this Islam was also not strictly pagan. It was heretic because they saw that the Muslims were to some extent Christians. Namely, they believed in Jesus. They believed in his virgin birth. They believed in his second coming at the end of time. They did not believe in his resurrection or in the fact that he was the son or the incarnation of God. But nevertheless, they, they had something of Christianity. And so from the church's viewpoint, they were like lapsed Christians, Christians gone astray. So whereas Hindus are fully undoubtedly pagans, in the case of Islam, it is uh, rather heretic than pagan. And so, um, so that's why I'm surprised to hear this, uh, this talk about the word pagan, you know? There, I mean, it's a very minor point in the very useful discourse of uh, Abhas, but um, anyway, that, that's my first thought about it. I wonder what he has to say about this. Thanks a lot, Issam. It's, uh, of course, your comment made by you is, uh, is going to be of great importance for whole thing. Hearing from you is a big thing, uh, first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. And um, yes, I, I do agree to your point that uh, pagan is a very generalistic term which I use. I would have used a heretical term and that would have made much more sense. So it, it will go more in the context. So I completely agree mm -hmm. to it. There's no denial about it. I. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, sir. Okay. Now, uh, going by even the traditional biographies that are available, uh, it is very clear where this Christian influence came on the Prophet of Islam, because his own uncle was a Christian. We uh, read in the Orthodox biographies. So, is there really a need to postulate some kind of an Aryan connection when, in fact, we know uh, from the Orthodox biographies itself that, first of all, uh, Arabia was a multicultural society with probably a pagan majority. And secondly, that there was a, I mean, there were at least one mixed family where there are some people who are Christian and some people who are clearly pagan. 
So is there any reason to bring in the Sasanian Byzantine conflict and then the Arian heresies and all, so on in order to explain this? So uh, uh, first of all, uh, my submission to whole of a thing in crux is that my study say that there was no Muhammad. And the story of he being influenced by any Christian uh, uncle is also a very cooked up story. Because uh, uh, his biographies, uh, if you go by a classical classical notion or I say SIN, that is standard Islamic narrative, what I call sin. Based on that, uh, that is what you are trying to tell. And uh, as per sin, so where do we get this sin from? What is the source of our thing in the sin? So our sources are... Actually, the first source is definitely the work of Ibn Shak. So, so if I just dwell a bit in the classical story of it for the people to get it, in 570 Muhammad is born. In 610 he met the Jibril or Gabriel, whatever you call it, in the Iraq. 610 to 622 he received the Meccan revelation. In 621 the incidence of Mirage happens, where he you know goes to the seven heavens, heavens and brings the five prayers. And this is where the Al-Aqsa Mosque also comes into play and Dome of Rock, what's all happening in the Israel right now. This is the place where, so in 622, this is the point of Hidra, 622 to 32, it's uh, the Medin revelation, 630, he conquered Makkah, it said peacefully, but it was, whatever, 632, he died. There are few also things that he was died of poisoning. And we are told that uh, we have four caliphs, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman and Ali. Now I tell all these things are bankam. And because, uh, uh, including all these four caliphs, why this is bankam? Because where do we get, we need to have first source about it. The first source we get is 765 AD when Ibn Ishaq wrote Siratul Rasulullah and 833 Ibn Hisham writes Siratul Rasulullah. Now Ibn Hisham has written this text. Uh, Ibn Hisham says that he heard, he got the reference from the work of Ibn Ishaq, but no one has seen the work of Ibn Ishaq. We see the work of Ibn Hisham, which was written in 833. 833 is around 100 and uh, around 201 years after the uh, alleged death of Muhammad. Then we got the first uh, uh, hadith, which is written by Al Bukhari. It's written in 870. And again, 870 means 240 years. So for 240 years, people were sleeping and suddenly they wake up to know that yes, there was a prophet 200 years back. So let's write a story about him. In 923, we get the work of Al-Tabari who writes Tafsir and Taktik. So, so on and on. And all these things of uh, are happening during when Abbasids have become powerful. In whole of our literature fraternity, we have got two genres. One is, the, uh, one is fiction, one is a historical fiction. I see the story of Quran as a historical fiction, in my opinion, because it's based on a bit even on lower ground of it, where the story has been adopted from however the thing was happening. So when we see that everything is flawed. So when I was talking about, uh, you know, questioning that uh, first reference to Muhammad also appears in a coin, which was issued by um, um, Abdul Malik in six, uh, in 690, in 690s which is happening after 60 years. Then I was given a reference that, you know, it's not after 60 years, but the first time Muhammad was spoken about in 634, in 640 AD. In 640 AD, I spoke about that reference when in 634, it is said that Muhammad the Tayyayi 
goes on a war 12 miles away from Gaza. This is the first primary source which talks about Muhammad, which exactly dated in the period. Now, where are these Taiyai people? These Taiyai people are definitely in the northern Arabia. So, when this Muhammad belongs, so how will I, why will I refer to the Quranic version? Rather, I will have to refer to the version which are exactly written in the same period and also talking about the Muhammad at the same time. And all this text then take me back to what I was saying. You know, that, that is how it's written because it's very important to understand that how exactly Quran, like for example, uh, I'll give you a fair bit of amount of the Quranic text which we have found. So, uh, one of our very famous manuscripts of the Quran, which is there, is a Sana manuscript, right? So, Sana, Sana is a place where in Yemen where this, uh, uh, this uh, manuscript of Quran is kept, a few part of it. So, the carbon dating took, the, took it from a range of around 300 years before the alleged birth of Muhammad to, to 100 years after the alleged date of Muhammad. So, this text might have been even before the birth of Muhammad because carbon dating is a range. Even the, you know, the, the oldest date can be the correct one or the latest date can also be the correct one. So, it is a high probability and perhaps, you know, this would have been written by Samarian. Who knows? Some accounts were being written. So, all this, and in fact, if I just go back to one of the oldest fragment of manuscript of Quran, which is found in Birmingham library. And they say that, you know, BBC had done lot, lot of who Allah that we found the oldest Quran, oldest Quran. But if this is just one page, one page this side, one page that side. So this is not complete Quran, this is 3%, right? This is not a complete manuscript. Now, when the carbon dating of this was also done, interesting, this also takes you around 60 years, uh, 20 years before the alleged birth of Muhammad and 10 years uh, after the, so this range also. So how can Quran happen before the birth of Muhammad? So it means that the Quran, which is being shown to you in related to Quran is perhaps not the correct one. Something else is looking around. So when I started looking at the primary sources that led me to just deviate my study to some other direction. And that direction made me to realize that or rather venture out that, Hey, how did this thing Islam got to evolve? Because there was nothing called Islam till seventh century, because there is no mention of Makkah before. Uh, Arabica. This, is a, this is a document which talks about Makkah for the first time in 741 AD and we find the Makkah on any map for the first time in 900 AD. It, it takes 300 years, around 250, uh, around 250 years after that we find Makkah on the map. If Makkah was exactly the mother of civilization as the Quran says. so It has to be on the map. We need to have some archaeological references of you know, it's again a subject matter of discussion that how old is our civilization. But we have instances of archaeological evidences of human civilization in India from 6,000 years, right? So if Makkah has to be the mother of civilization, it has to be at least 8,000, 9,000 years old. But we don't have any archaeological proof of any. So the whole Quran, whole of a narrative which becomes to us is highly fraudulent. And with this lot of fraudery which has happened, then we need to find an alternative thing. So that's why we are just going back to basic. Maybe that we are starting from, to rewrite the whole history of Islam. I don't know how it will turn up, but this is how I am perceiving it as because we don't have any correct text available. My question would be how, so according to your theory, you say that there was no Muhammad. So how did the Quran existed? And after that, how did this, how did the Islam got uh, 
I do the political comments. How it go? To the conversation. I didn't so, understand that. So, um, uh, uh, perhaps I went in flow with the emotion where I directly said that there was no Muhammad. I say that there was a Muhammad. There are two Muhammads. And there are multiple Muhammads. I'll tell you how. Because as per the Hebrew language, this uh, there was also a term called mammoth, right? And the mammoth literally means uh, a, a powerful office. So, and we find this text during the Umayyad period written in Hebrew language, which talks about mammoth. You know, there's a mammoth who is controlling the thing. So perhaps it was off, office as well. It might be the case. When I say there was a Muhammad, of course, when you get inspired from a story, so you need to have a character over there. So my character in this case is Ilyas Ibn Kabisa, from whom whole of a story of uh, the Quran has been inspired from. And a whole uh, a new narrative was written based on that character. So there was one man, Inesri, and this man, Yas Ibn Kabisa, actually nickname was Muhammad. His main name was Yas, which actually means Eliza, which means Yahweh is my God. Had that name been taken, it would have been a disaster to Islam because you know it has to reject that God and has to bring a new God, Allah. You know, uh, this thing Allah also has got a very different story. So uh, we will not dwell into it right now. But uh, so for that reason, yes, Muhammad was inspired from certain characters. There would have been multiple Muhammads. Like for uh, and interestingly, Quran ninety-three times uh, invokes Jesus and uh, four times talks about Muhammad. And Muhammad also, Muhammad is a position uh, to be very clear that you know it's a designation. It's always about uh, you, anyone in the Arabian language from that time, anyone who is powerful or the blessed one can be Muhammad. So that, that is how it goes. And Quran was uh, certainly a compilation of uh, the works which people could find here and there, and you know, just they were compiled together. And in my opinion, the larger work started happening from. Uh, um, Umayyad leader, actually he was Umayyad, Abdul Malik. Abdul Malik was the man for the first time. If you, uh, you can just go back to see my earlier talk also, where I've shown how the transformation happened. In the for the first time, on his coins we see the Christian uh, Christian cross. Next time we see him appearing and him being compared to an you know, dearest one of a god, which is supposed to be the Muhammad. So he has seen himself as the most powerful one. In the next coin, we see that we see the mention of uh, Muhammad, and uh, then he builds a structure called Dome of Rock. Uh, right now, it's in the news because of Israel-Palestine brawl or the fight or whatever. So, this Dome of Rock is the place where this Abdul Malik built. But this is the place exactly from where Muhammad flew on the horse named Burak to the seventh heaven. He got in there. And you know he met Moses there. He uh, first goes to the God, and God gives him a bunch of prayers. When he comes to Moses, Moses said that hey, it's way too much. Go reduce the prayer. Then he goes up and down, up and down, and then he finally comes up with the five prayers. And then Moses said, "Oh, it's fine. Now you can go back and five prayers. So that's why you have five uh, five times prayer." So he comes back, and so that place is remarkable for uh, for this mirage, the act of mirage that the Muhammad going and all those things, but. Doom of Rock doesn't talk of that incidence at all, but it talks of this incidence is being spoken in the mosque, which is later just adjacent to it, which was built 17 years after that. It's Al Hafsa Mosque, Al Hafsa Mosque. So in that mosque, but the place which is claimed to 
has a claim of Muhammad flying is this dome of rock. What it talks about, dome of rock has got the first Quranic verse written, right? The oldest. And this verse is again trying to demean Jesus. It's trying to say that Jesus is not the son of God. He's not godly. It's a condemnation of Jesus. And there was a reason why it was built higher than the Christian uh, uh, the, uh, the Christian monument, which is just uh, some distance from there. And uh, it was built at a higher position. And it was inspired from that Christian structure itself, completely in terms of the plan and everything. So what this guy was trying to do, trying to make a political dominance over the Byzantines. It was not about Christianity or anything, but dominance over uh, empire. That is the Byzantine empire. So that's why it was built at a higher structure. And that's why condemnation of Jesus. And then when this thing happens and this verse of the, the verse, which is written over there is longer than the verse, which is there in Quran. So it means that what is longer, the original one will be longer. So what is built in 691 is the original and what is written in Quran is actually the newer thing. So Quran definitely happened after 691 AD. So, so yes, uh, it was just a political move and that's how it tra transpired in my opinion and reading so far. Before I ask my question, I will say that the talk was excellent, but I am worried about Abbas that the, there may not be any fatwa issued against him in India. So my worry. My question is that you said that it, it is a fraud about Islam. Now, if that is so, what, how to lead the challenge of this product Islam in India? If you cannot answer this question now, can we do it in your uh, talk later in June? Thank you. I'll just give a very short answer for this question that, you know, I, 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 I was of a belief that Islam can't be changed long back. Now I have a belief that Islam can be changed. And I come from a belief that you know, Islam has been changing. And Islam had different versions. And um, you will be surprised to know that uh, you, the, uh, the Quran got canonized completely only in 1985. It's just three years older to me. right? So before that, there were multiple versions of Quran. And the Hafs version of Quran, which was adopted as a final version. And before that, the, before that, the canonization happened in 1924-25 in Cairo, Egypt. It happened because every student in the Islamic studies were writing different answer to the one question related to Quran. So when they found that there is so much discrepancy, they wanted a standard Quran. So it was standardized in 1925. So when this standardization happened, it later on, after 60 years, impressed the king of Saudi Arabia so much. And then he said, that now this Hafs Quran will be the canonized Quran for all of the world. So before that, there were multiple versions. We saw that Abbasids modified the idea of uh, Islam completely, uh, taking over with the Umayyads. And Umayyads literature were burned down. And uh, uh, also we saw that, you know, that we have in the last talk, I clarified there were multiple Kaabas. There were not one Kaaba. There were multiple Kaabas based on uh, how people want to worship and the situation. And the earlier Kaabas till 813 AD used to face towards Petra, then to nowhere, and then to... So I see that there has been transformation. Islam has changed 
so that's why i have a belief that if the historical context of islam can be put forward and you know then people can if look at it from right now in india particularly we saw that we have been got we have mostly gotten into the humiliation factor or at time you know just picking a part of our literature with kind of say that you know this is wrong with the faith or something like we have not hit that the or rather we have not captured the historical moments which you know something so when i was given the uh, the writing of 634 ad as a reference for muhammad yeah, you were saying that there is no muhammad hey here is a reference and that came out as a boom to me and then i started looking at the syriac text that you know this muhammad belonged to tayyah and the whole narrative itself changed so i am using exactly the evidences given by them to really find out who this man muhammad or who what is this faith islam essentially is so when we just don't go into the acts of blasphemy or the things i like did but we just pick the you know if someone wants to worship now my opinion is that you know if someone sees divinity in something that's okay you do it I, i'm not going to go into that what should be right what should be wrong but my job as a person who researches is to bring forth the night narrative let us put the fact and then we'll see what the reaction is you know that should be the path for me and i believe it should be for everyone thanks abhas uh, for such an excellent talk and that reminds me uh, your research based on a theory that muhammad wasn't existing okay as that reminds me somewhere i had read long back that even the jesus also is a fictitious character even the the, the photos of jesus which we see today it's uh, it's the photo of son of um, pope benedict 16th or 16th pope benedict probably I'm, if i recall it correctly uh, the cesar borgia uh do you see any uh, any any similarity uh, you know the way these two christianity and islam they both are getting propagated and you know uh, they both expanded throughout the world as i said you know i have completely seen the abrahamic faith as a political forces they just you know like how islam emerged see why they came up with a new prophet new god and everything because having power that time was about two things you get new religion and you get a new prophet and a god there were three they everyone had trinity if i be precise my their trinity was religion you bring the faith then the second second aspect of trinity was you get a prophet and the third aspect was you get the some new god and that is how it all happened and every faith was following the same principles because uh, because of byzantines who were the christians wanted to become powerful what wanted to remain powerful the jews so they came up with a new idea and if you go back to the history if you see that uh, in fact christianity also was about the political dominance because the people uh, of that era were certainly uh, i won't use the term dogmatic but certainly they were too deeply engrossed into the idea that you know some divinity will help you out no some divinity is always there to stand by you and do something good for you and the things will change uh, whatever disaster may be and so this emotion always acted in favor of the powerful one to bring in a new god or a new prophet similarly but as far as the the jewish sect are concerned there is a I, i i do feel that there was a bit of difference of course it also emerged uh, most of the faith you must have a certain amount of faith uh, a certain amount of fiction but what i read about the jews particularly is that you know 
when uh, the territory where this israel and the palestine is there, uh, there so this was called canaan the place of the this place was altogether and the canaanites were the people who were residing uh, in that place so it's around 1200 bc when uh, you know, these people just you know just uh, started adopting a new faith first came the yahwahism when yahweh was one of the god in that locality in the region then from yahwahism it translated to become yes of course they were also radical and fanatic but their idea was not for the political growth it was completely out of uh, looking at the spiritual you know but on the contrast as far as more it moved with the further faith it was all about uh, uh, the power and the dominance and how to bring other down uh, i have been following regularly your threads also on on uh, twitter my question is that uh, uh, see uh, we have a sira and hadith also and i have read encyclopedia of uh, uh, sira there are a lot of characters and a lot of associates and lots of uh, uh, historical so so called historical events don't you think that this is too much of a fictionalization to put everything in order like al badar al treaty of hudabia and so many characters that appear during the so called life of uh, muhammad uh, do you think they are all fictionalized in my opinion uh, first of all all the four caliphs are the fiction because we don't have any primary sources for it uh, see uh, because unless you are history is all about admitting the thing which has got the source history cannot be based on just a belief and a faith so uh, we don't have any evidence for the muhammad of quran like what you see muhammad in the quran we don't have any evidence for it because uh, per se maybe that uh, as i said that quran talks about muhammad only four times jesus 93 times it might be the case that perhaps it's addressing the jesus itself who knows it also can be the case so and uh, we don't know anything about what umayyad's literature was because the umayyad literature was burned down by the abbasids so we uh, actually do not have any clue what happened in this gap of from 6 century or rather 7th century or 6th century let's consider because muhammad was born that time to the period of the abbasids we have complete blackout and we don't that's why you don't have a single i always put this challenge to anyone to give me one arabian source which talks about islam which talks about uh, uh, the muhammad between this period before 691 we absolutely have no sources and what is most interesting is that you know the bizarre claim comes that you know we have the quran uh, which was canonized by uthman the, the caliph uh, and uh, he what he did he saw that uh, you know there's a various version of quran which is uh, available every day here and there so to western right he canonized it he brought all, all of them together and burnt the remaining and then he distributed in the various territories he sent it across but we don't have any reference for the uthman as well that whether he existed or not so by the because we don't find the uthman's quran at all right because the qurans are having so if uthman had canonized the quran then why in 1924 ad people in cairo had to bring one standard version of quran which was the hafs quran and this guy hafs was actually <laughs> work was not considered very credible his version of quran long back when he so there were multiple versions of quran not in india i'm not sure whether we'll find multiple versions of quran in india or not for many reasons but uh, if we just go in fact in europe as well we can find a lot of if you ask for a book of quran you will be asked which version do you want they really have the versions of quran so when and as far hadith hadith has got a very interesting story that one thing is that whoever wrote the hadith in the mass 
most of them were related to some of the slaves right somewhere down the the, the parent side someone would be slave or he himself would be slave so the writing of hadith was a redemption poem so when this uh, redemption so whoever was would write more of it would be redeem would, would be redeemed much more earlier and what we see um, uh, see uh, when you have got a spiritual book it is not supposed to humiliate the man the primary man but hadith does humiliates muhammad to a great extent and this humiliation quotient was actually added by the the writers of the hadith for major reason to keep the thing very entertaining it was like a x factor of the book you know to keep the people incurred and you will be surprised to know that the first hadith which mr bukhari wrote around 230 years after the alleged demise of muhammad he was given some um, around 6 lakhs of uh, the hadith right and out of 6 lakh he chose to um, uh, out of he chose to write around 7000 so around 98.2% of the hadith was registered by mr bukhari who told mr bukhari after 200 years you know that this hadith is wrong muhammad didn't say it and he said that what i found wrong i just removed it so who was author so this whole hadith is completely fabricated we even have a tale that parts of quran was eaten up by the ship so so the, we don't have any standard narrative or rather very historical narrative around the islamic literature to be very precise that's why they are to be doubted abhashi namaste um thank you so much i really enjoyed the session although i must confess that i am not a student of humanity so there were a lot of um historical references to people place and event that i couldn't relate to so i'm going to you know go through this video once again and uh, read about these events and probably i'll have a better idea i have a question and i'm so sorry if it sounds more like a hypothesis um so today people say that when you look at hamas they say that hamas was a creation of israel uh you know to curb the uh, the arab influence you know especially when it comes to palestinians and uh, and a lot of people relate to it and again this this could be a conspiracy theory where they say that uh when islam rose of course islam did not rise because of spirituality or it had any element to give it to people it was more of a power struggle within abrahamic fractions but it says that um uh, somehow jews were the one who weaponized islam in the beginning and later on it became a frankenstein's monster just the way hamas has become a monster today for israel do you have have you come across any such thing or do you think it's just a conspiracy and should be rubbished Uh, no i don't think it's a conspiracy because uh, actually the jews were so see the uh, when i spoke about different school of thoughts of christianity i was talking about it because i wanted to establish that you know how jesus was being perceived and how they were actually against each other with the swords in the hand what it does is that one who is perceiving forget that they are christian they are having a view of uh, the jesus what the current muslim has it and he has got a sword he is ready to wage the jihad so what does it mean that the idea of uh, because the first version or the first verse of quran which is found in dome of rock in 691 ad is also about condemning or rather doing the humiliation to the jesus right so what it does means that this idea was existing 300 years before that time. yes and the jews idea does subscribe to the uh, notion that which is against the orthodox christianity it doesn't 
go hand in hand with that so when that and of course jew and jew when when a bunch of jews saw that you know, the byzantines are getting powerful you know they are being persecuted and and i spoke about in the middle that you know so certain jews which started doing the revolt but they were cursed you know, cursed in the time of justinian and they were they were always looking at the possibilities of picking women a uh, weapon and if you see that there are a lot of tradition which has been taken from the from the judaism it is not completely do the see the works and literature is very common to christianity and the jews like old testament and for them there is a new testament so of course when the text is being put across right and the tradition is the jews so what do you say they did it from christianity or the jews you have no clues about it it's just a merger of all the things which were there around just as a position of the powerful ones of, uh, of that that locality or that particular large geopolitical region as you said that the battle of the 10 kings the sharajne war and then they you know migrated outside so um, i've also heard theories of jews uh, originating from india so uh, the the god yahweh can it be a, a derivative of of shiva from here because they could not pronounce sindhu they they said uh, you know uh, hindu ha huh. so sir turns into and then it becomes yahweh and then uh, because even his consort is followed by many other sumerians and all those so that is something that you know is a hypothesis i wanted to just understand because we find 7000 year old shiblings originating in turkey also um, there there can certainly can be a possibilities of linkages to our civilization because i see a very strong link with the mediterranean and in fact the whole persian belt and whole of a belt in fact in parts of more more towards russia as well we see, i see a very lot of strong connection with our civilization and uh, our world was certainly a bit different from what we see today right now and uh, also the kind of description which we find in uh, the ramayan uh, right what sukriyu has given while he was explaining the whole of a geo uh, geography uh, for his vanasena to go hell and there so once we start connecting the dots then we will see that you know we did had idea of those places how will we have idea of those places we would have idea of those places you know I, i'm not subscribing to the idea that we had flying things and all right now because i don't find it very you know very uh, very much proven so i will not pick that pick this but this certainly means that there are certain means of transportation so maybe that the people were walking down there were the certain kind of post. so people were uh, the guys from our side that is who wrote the ramayan would have definitely seen that what's happening there so there must have been certain colonization so it might i have not read uh, not worked on the uh, the yavai so i cannot comment precisely on it whether he was shiva or not but certainly there was a very strong influence because uh, the first migration is from uh, people come towards india and from the india people migrate towards outside and what happened then from outside again inside and that that is how the things happened but what happened that people missed out the first part that you know indians migrated but they picked the second part which is the migration this side so that's why the whole bunch of the people linked avesta and so also in a very other way like yes avesta is connected to the rigveda but it's other way around it went from this side to that side not from that side to that. so i see that there must have been a possibility and something might just come up i, I, I believe that it take at least 20 30 years to establish if at all some relations are there